Most people settle because they don't know how to maximize the potential that God has given them. Welcome to the Thrive College Podcast, where we help young leaders navigate the challenges and opportunities of their future and faith. Each episode, we'll be giving the mic to young leaders to ask tough questions to some of the world's most influential voices. We're excited you're here with us today. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Thrive College Podcast. We are in part three of our conversation with Moral Revolution. Moral Revolution is all about capturing God's design and his passion for sex and sexuality to know that that is not needing to be a shameful story, but instead one that you can celebrate and understand that this can be a very, very good thing. So I feel like already our buckets are so full, like literally yeah. our, you guys' minds, like I have so much to process. If you have not heard part one and part two, go back and give it a listen. It's been so rich, so deep. This one is going to be a little bit of a catch-all. So far we've had an episode so more centered around shame. And then we had one more centered around dating. This is just kind of an et cetera, like questions that we still have that we want to cover with you guys. So I'm um, really quickly want to introduce, if you didn't catch those episodes, Cole and Kate Zick. They are our fearless leaders of Moral Revolution, incredible pastors, married couple that is just doing this so well in reaching generations with God's message for sex and sexuality and offering a better story than the one that's been offered. So with that, Nina, first of all, yes. you're hired. You are oh, coming on every yeah. MR. <laughs> yeah. Can I pump you guys? <laughs> you just described us in a minute and 60 seconds. You better than we did. Wow. Well, I'm inspired. I mean, I've always loved you guys from afar and um, a little bit in person as we've gotten to know each other. But man, after these conversations, I'm like, let's get the word out, guys. Absolutely. Moral revolution. Yeah. So love it. with that, we're going to dive right in. And so go down the line. Cody, start, just introduce yourself, give yourself your your name and no other information. Absolutely. Just just your name. And then we'll have Cameron land by asking the first question. Sounds great. My name's Cody and that's well all done. I can give you. Well done. <laughs> My name is Nicole. And I'm Cameron. And before the podcast, me and Cody were talking and he gave me a statistic that around 70% of men and women in America have admitted to having a porn addiction in the past. So I think we'd be doing a disservice to our listeners if we didn't ask you guys, how do you break free from the addiction of porn? The addiction of what? Of, of porn. Pornography. What's that? Uh, I don't want to explain I'm it to you. <laughs> but I can if you need me to. <laughs> Cameron's like, I think this is kind of part of what you guys do, but... <laughs> Not you yeah, would know. Totally, I am totally messing with you. Um, yeah, we spend lots of time talking about this, don't we? Yeah, we do. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to? You go first. You know, I mean, the answer to that is is not quick, obviously. Um, I, I would say that really step one is acknowledging that porn is what it is now. Um, porn is more addictive than alcohol, than drugs. Um, and in the sense that it releases a higher concentrated dose of dopamine and serotonin than any of those other substances do. And so you're, it's the highest spike a brain can get really when you're talking about like wow. everyday things we have access to. And because it doesn't tend to lead to overdose or alcohol poisoning, and it doesn't necessarily have this direct correlation with possible death, we haven't labeled it properly as a society yet. Hmm. And so, but really, it, it porn addiction is 100% accurate, 
we need to acknowledge that this is an addiction, that it has the same impact on the brain and the body that an addiction does. And we need to begin to create support systems and support groups to help people get free of porn the same way we would drugs, alcohol, things of that Mm. nature. Mm. So that is like the big 10,000 foot view. You know, Barna did a study that said 93% of pastors acknowledge that porn is one of the primary problems in their church. And yet less than 7% of churches have anything focused on porn addiction. Wow. Okay. Wow. Pastors acknowledging, yeah, this is ravaging our homes yeah. and our, our marriages wow. and our family lives. And yet we're still focusing more on entertaining people than we are getting them free. Right. And, and, you know, and so you you have the, the big picture issue of I think that the church is the solution here because of the power of the cross. Mm-hmm. We just actually have to start going after this. Now, when you break it down to an individual, I couldn't possibly answer that question you know, exhaustively right now, but I could tell you where to start. Mm. And what I would tell anybody to do that is struggling with pornography, where I would tell them to start is to figure out what medicine porn has become to your mind. Because that's ultimately what it is because of what an orgasm does. An orgasm releases these neurotransmitters that actually help our brain process trauma, tragedy, hurt, rejection, exhaustion, boredom, all of those different things. The orgasm is the quickest way to a moment of relief from those. It actually works better. If, if you could equate it to, you know, if uh, your knee hurts and you take an ibuprofen and you're, oh, all of a sudden my knee doesn't hurt anymore 30 minutes later. Well, it's because it went and it told your brain, it, it, it basically coded and it covered, it lied, it, it lies to you, covering up the part of your brain that's telling you your knee is hurting, mm. right? That's ultimately what a medicine is. Horn does the same thing. That moment, that climax moment offers that same exact thing to your brain, but in relationship to emotional pain. <laughs> and so we get wow. so hung up on the porn, but I tell everybody, the porn is not your problem. You don't have a porn problem. You have an emotional pain problem. And you, if you begin to, re, if you actually can start to connect the dots, you realize, oh, I've been using porn as emotional Advil. And anytime I feel rejected by somebody, then I'm drawn to this. Anytime I'm feeling exhausted, um, anytime I'm feeling overwhelmed, anytime I'm feeling bored, and I just, because we, we, boredom's a big deal in our generation because we're so entertained. And so we've actually got this need to be, becoming entertained, being entertained is actually becoming a need for this generation. Hmm. So when we're not being entertained, boredom sets in and it actually becomes an emotional need that needs to be filled. Wow. And so with porn, really the place to start is to try to figure out, okay, what is my subconscious using pornography for? What's my brain using it to medicate? Uh, That's really step number one, you know? And then once you begin to uncover that, you know, you want to, you obviously you want to bring people into the, into the process with you. You can't do it alone. Um, You want to get really honest and vulnerable on a really regular and daily basis. Um, but all that, honestly, I don't even want to give more steps because if you're just like, I'm living in this cycle of porn, step number one, figure out why your brain continues to use it and what it's medicating with it. Wow. Yeah, that's good. A practical way to do that, that Cole normally even gives the advice on is after you do, like after you have a slip up, you're like, I don't want to, I'm never going to do it anymore. And you have a slip up is sit down with a journal and say, what was I feeling before? Sit down with a journal mm. and say, what? 
what was going on, look at your calendar, what was going on in the last 48 hours, the last week, so that you can see what triggered you to get you here and that you can hopefully find the root system if you haven't already been able to figure out what that is. Yeah. Wow. Okay, talk to us about um, entering into this conversation. I feel like there's going to be two, two opposite responses. One's going to be like, whoa, porn, don't struggle with that. Give us some help to stay in that zone where we are like, yeah, we're not getting regularly exposed and we know how to avoid uh, being exposed to pornography. What are some safeguards we can put on our life? And then on the, on the other hand, it's like, whoa, porn, I don't want to have this conversation because I just have buckets of shame around this because I know I have been failing in this area. So if you could each maybe speak to both. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the first one is just... Something we often say is realizing that in our generation, it's almost like we have forfeited holiness in an attempt to avoid legalism. So when you're saying, oh, porn, why am I even talking about that? It's not even a problem of mine. How do I stay there? Is staying with a view of what is my standard? What what does holiness mean? What does it mean to live set apart? And I think a lot of times, even in this young um, college age, I know what happened for me and what I think I've watched happen as we've led that age group is a lot of times our comparison stick is our other peers and realizing like, oh, well, I don't watch porn, but do I watch X, Y, and Z show? I don't even know all the popular shows right now that might be watched that have full-fledged porn in them, mm -hmm. right? So it's these the sex scenes, it's um, the things that we're seeing on social media, like what what is your standard of saying, I'm not going to entertain that? Um, you know, I think of David, I think of Job, where they make the covenant with their eyes to put no vile thing before their eyes. They make a covenant with the Lord of like, what's their standard? And so really being introspective with the Lord of what is my standard of holiness and set apartness to stay set apart. So for those that are like, yeah, that's not even an issue for me. How do I stay there? It's really defining what your standard is and asking the Lord um, to protect you, guard you and making I think what's hard sometimes is you're, especially in this age range, sometimes we feel like we don't want to seem like the one who thinks we're like holier than thou, like we don't do that. But so often like your other peers are, are just like one step away from the courage to make that choice themselves. And so them mm. seeing you step in that courage confidently, mm. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't watch that. No, I'm not going to talk about that. Hey, we're going to da da da. Like that's what everybody's actually hungering and thirsting for is mm. righteousness and mm -hmm. so how can you just say, I'm going to go first, I'll go alone if I have to, um, mm -hmm. but this is my standard for holiness and right living with the Lord. That's yeah. awesome. That's really helpful. Thank you. This is really good woman. I got to say one more thing on it. Actually, I just realized I forgot because it's <laughs> what you will remember because it rhymes. <laughs> you're being trained by what you're entertained by. Ooh. You're being trained by what you're entertained by. That's because good. here's the thing. Are you losing your salvation by watching that show? Right. Maybe not. But you are most likely losing your discernment. Mm. Your desensitization level is lowering with every <laughs> song you listen to, with every show you watch. Your discernment level on what's okay or, oh, I kind of know. Oh, maybe gay. Oh, Oh, that's okay. You know, we slowly get fizzled down. And so, yeah. yeah, challenge yourself. Yeah, we're pretty, you know, Kate and I are pretty tight on what we're willing to watch because of realizing that, you know, a human brain is a unique thing in the fact that we don't have a lot of instinctive behaviors. And that means we don't come out of the womb with a whole bunch of pre-programmed ways of living life. Yeah. So our brains are 
actively looking for lessons to learn and make a part of who we are. That's actually how the human brain is war. That's how the human brain is built by God. It, it's probably the largest contrast to an animal is that we're actually built to find things to teach ourselves on how to behave, how to act. So when we spend time, you, 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 you talk porn, but really it, the old phrase was uh, holding hands leads to sex. Um, I would say Netflix leads to porn. Uh, and not, not that we don't, not that we don't watch stuff on Netflix, um, or, you know, streaming apps or Peacock or whatever. Right. But the reality of it is this, you're being slowly chipped away with all of the sexual messaging going on all mm. around us. Yeah. And yeah. so it really kind of comes in, to, becomes to the point for the person that, you know, Dina, that you said maybe has never looked at porn. That was me. I still have never seen porn in my life. I, I found magazines as a kid threw them down, ran out of the room. Like that's the extent of it for me. Um, but what I found that I had to still do is I have to be aware, right? Like you go to the same mall every single time, you know, you probably shouldn't walk by Victoria's secret. You know where it's at. Not that you're trying to be legalistic, but I don't want to be so scared of legalism that I don't live in obedience. And I also know my mind Damn. can dwell on something for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really, you know, that line that Kate said at the end is, is being aware that we're, because of the, the learned nature of our brains, what we watch teaches us, even if it's entertaining us, it's teaching us. And I'm going to try to avoid those things because I don't want to build this unholy appetite under me for something that contradicts God's design. Yeah, That's so good. I really appreciate that. And to the second question, do you, do you have anything to say to the person who is just like bent over in shame that they can barely listen to this conversation because the enemy is just coming at them so much and saying like, don't listen to that. Like you could never break free. Like that's just part of who you are. Speak to that person yeah. who's caught up in this addiction that you talked about. Yeah. I, you know, for whether that, whether it's porn or shame of any type really. Um, and we, we mentioned this in the first one, but I, I want to give this this verse and this and this one that I think could be really helpful for that person, and that's First John chapter one. And what he's talking about in here is he says, "Look, I know you you've sinned. If you act, if you say you haven't sinned, you're actually making me out to be a liar because I know you've sinned." And I think we have to understand something about the cross. He didn't die on the cross, so he had to be perfect. He died because he knew that we would not be perfect, even on our best day. And so for the one that's like, oh, I've been there again and I've prayed and I've done these things and I still keep struggling, I still keep struggling and you're, and you're trying to, to remove the shame, I would encourage you to, to lean into a deeper understanding of what is God's vision for you? What has he done on the cross and why has he done it? Because in 1 John chapter 1 where he says that, he goes, if, you, if you're on, in the light as he is in the light, mm -hmm. and then he goes and he says, now if you confess, have fellowship with one another, He's faithful and just will forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. I believe that that is a literal promise from the Lord, that if you're in fellowship, if you confess and you practice confession, then I'm going to forgive you and restore your purity and actually bring you back into a pure place of a pure mindset. And so I think the first thing that you have to realize is that you'll never get the purity on your own. It has to come through allowing the Lord to wash you clean. Hmm. And that comes through fellowship with one another and through confession. And so 
you know, I think when, you know, shame is ultimately more faith in the enemy's ability to corrupt than Jesus's ability, ability to save. Wow. Like if we're struggling with shame, if we really unpack that, that means we actually believe more in the enemy's ability to ruin our life than we do God's ability to save it. Mm. Right. Wow. And so it's this moment of, wait a second, it's actually not nearly as much about how you see yourself. It's actually way more about how you see Jesus and what authority you think he carries because of what he did on the cross. I have a heart. I very rarely meet somebody that struggles with shame that has a full understanding of the work of the cross. (laughs) Those two go hand in hand. When you fully understand what Jesus died for, why he did it, why he chose it, it literally just the knowledge of that is the greatest combat for shame I know of. Yeah. I feel like that is a perfect segue into some follow-up questions. We like lat the first episode, Cole, we we pushed pause on the recording and uh, the conversation just kept going because we were all just saying, man, we and if you haven't listened to the first episode, go back and listen. A lot of us, we had never heard of this idea that your purity can be restored. So um Cody, did you want to ask a follow-up? But yeah, I was still like, I, re- I read First John one after uh, after that episode, and I think it just one. I have to believe that what you said, like you're like, this has to be a promise from God. You mm-hmm. said of doing these things. Yeah. Uh, more to my thought process is this. My question comes from here. If I'm someone who struggles with shame, who was is like, I want to get back to the place of purity. Uh, you said part of that promise is like is the community piece yeah. and and that shame. What can I do as a person who struggles with shame I've, like in this scenario? How do I get myself out of isolation and then getting into that community so I can actually eventually overcome the hurdle of shame? Is that okay. is like let me ask you a question with a question. Can yeah. I answer that with a question? Let's quickly? do it. What prevents you from going into community with this? Like or me, like me, like me personally. Well, sure, you personally, oh. or just your generation, right? Like judgment from the larger generation. It's always comparison and usually judgment from most students that I talk to. And what are both of those things centered on? Shame, Shame. sin, fear of well, fear of man. Mm. Right. The reason that we most often don't confess or or allow we we only allow people into our successes and not our failures, is because we're we're more scared of man than we are the Lord, mm-hmm. and we're concerned that they're going to see us different, that they're going to treat us different, that we're going to be removed, excommunicated, or pushed out, mm-hmm. or whatever you know whatever the, that you add whatever you you want onto that. And we see in Scripture it is impossible to please God with a fear of man. You even see this in in John where it said that there were some among the Pharisees that believed, but they refused to speak up about who Jesus was for fear of being put out of the synagogue. Dang. You see this with Saul in the Old Testament. Fear of man ran his life, and it's what ultimately disqualified him from kingship. Hmm. Whereas David... I mean, he had to get tricked into repenting, <laughs> Yeah. but he finally, I did this and I am wrong. And 
I think at the heart and the core, the root of not willing to confess or be in fellowship with our failures is that we're so concerned with what other people think that we're forfeiting closeness with the Holy Spirit. Wow. And so we have to begin to ask ourselves, what matters more, his or her opinion of me or my ability to connect vertically? Hmm. That's good. I think the other piece is you're forfeiting freedom by doing that because you're not willing to expose what needs to be set free. I think as Cole was saying it, it just reminded me of a personal experience where I, while being a married woman, mother of four, moral revolution director, realized there was still something in our sexual life that was held back because of a string from my past, which this is after 18 months of counseling, freedom, all the things. So you're like, what? Like, how is this happening? Like, this should be done. But in my frustration with the enemy, because I know it's from my past and I know it's a string tied that I just cannot seem to get on my own, I truly think my breakthrough was on the other side of community because I brought it to my small group where everybody's talking about their struggles with getting their kids to sleep at night. And I'm like, hey, I don't like X, Y, Z in the bedroom, like escalated big time. But like a true zig. Yes. Um, but my friends <laughs> surrounded me. So I think right away you have to think what's going to happen. Like, are they going to judge me? Like, the- no, babe, I got to give more context to okay. this than, than you're even given. <laughs> did this at a dinner table with other pastors and pastor's wives that she had met that morning in a cohort that was being led by Lisa Bevere. And 10 to 15 women at the table that she had never met before. Well, that's how vulnerable Caitlin was being because she realized anything left in the dark becomes the devil's playground. Wow. And she, there was a question that was asked. And so she answered the question. One of the things we do a lot here and especially when we're with young adults is we do a thing called practicing vulnerability. Most of us have a college degree in image preservation. Yeah. Like we have a lot, some of us have a master's degree in making ourselves look better than our soul actually is. Yeah. And so we are just front and mask and good clothes and look good and get it together. And so we, a lot of times actually in the things that we do in ministries, we actually stop and we partner people up in the room and we practice vulnerability. Tell them one thing you don't want to tell somebody this week. Mm-hmm. Not because we're trying to constantly be, word vomiting all over everybody, but because we practice image preservation so much, we actually have to begin to get in the habit of sharing our hurts and our failures and our mistakes. It is very hard to do. The fear of man is a heck of a thing to kill and it Mm. won't die on accident. And as long as you have fear of man, you'll probably never confess fully. Even in your confession, you will uh, you know, I, I struggled last night. I got on the internet and I, I looked at something for a little bit, but then I left. Well, what does a little bit mean? Well, when you really unpack it, 30 minutes, what did it lead to? It led to this. Even in our confession, we try to package it as good and as nice and as tidy and as mm. neat as possible. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And he, he, to say, you have if you have fellowship with one another, he's not saying be just be accountable. No, he's saying if you have deep connection with other spirit-filled people and you confess with those people, now that you've brought it into the light, the devil has no more authority 
here we go. Forgiveness is purity is the next step. Mm-hmm. Now I can, now you'll actually believe in my forgiveness and my purity because you fully brought it out. Yeah. You'll actually be able to, it's not just about, do we get forgiveness and purity? It's also, do you have enough faith to believe it's possible? Right. And that's, that's so a good. big part of it is being in deep fellowship connection, not being so scared of people that we don't fully confess, but really let that out. And then let's get dirty together. Let's work through the pain together. Let's work through the mm-hmm. failures together. Let's really go after these things. And and for the three of you that are in Thrive College and, and anybody that's listening that's in college student, that it's a college student, as somebody who's been married for 16 years, there is no better time to address these things than in the single season of your life. Mm-hmm. Man, your marriage will thank you for it. Your kids will thank you for it. Your connection that you'll get to have with your spouse because you addressed these things in the season that you're in, man, that's going to be so powerful for your marriage one day. So good. And thank you guys so much for speaking straight truth into this. I, I just, especially Kate, sharing the truth of like, hey, I'm still, I'm leading this thing. I'm doing this thing. This is my call. And still there's struggle in this area, but on the other side of that struggle and vulnerability, there's also that freedom. I just love that so much. We have one final question and our time with you guys has been so rich, but Mm -hmm. ladies usually first, (laughs) but we, in this case, saved the best for last. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. So Nicole, yeah, close us up. Yeah. So you kind of ended that talking about marriage and how this is a great season uh, to kind of be, preparing for marriage so I guess my question is what does it mean to be a good spouse and how do you know when you get to that point that you're you're like ready and prepared enough to then commit yourself to marriage it's a great question I don't know that you'll ever be ready (laughs) um (laughs) but I always you know some of the dating advice that we give to people is you're not actually looking for the perfect spouse. I'm not opposed to checklists, but I also don't know how helpful they are hmm. um, because we can create a very romanced list of requirements. Um, what I always encourage people, you're looking for somebody who loves the Lord, who you see has the ability to love humans mm. and who is always open to change and correction. They're not hiding things from the leaders in your life. Yeah. Because you, you, the person that I am at 39 and after being married for 16 years, I look nothing like what I did when we got married at 22. In good ways and probably bad ways, right? Like I'm not even close to the person that I was. Caitlin isn't the same person that she was. And so if we are looking, for, you know, and some people will say, oh, I'm, I'm looking you know, a 22 year old or a 20 year old, I want to, you know, I, I use you as the example or you use Kate as the example. It's not super fair to do that because you're comparing a 22 year old to a 39 year old. Right. Yeah. Hopefully I'm better at things than I was at 20 years old. Yeah. If I'm not, there's a problem, right? Yeah. right? yeah. But if you know, they love the Lord and you watch them with other people and you see, man, they actually have a really cool ability to love people. They treat people with honor. They're not gossiping. They're not ripping people apart. They don't say one thing to someone's face and then have a totally different response behind their back. They honor their parents. They, right. You're looking for, are they capable of actually truly loving people? And then are they hungry for change? Hmm. Are they, 
When are they trying to hide things from the leaders that are in our life? Are they asking me to keep secrets from people? Are they, or are they actually saying, yeah, I failed and owning it and then working to change that. If they love God, you know, they have the capacity to love people because you watch it and they're willing to change. Then you can grow together. Yeah. Right. So those are the things I would be looking for. And those are the things I was looking for. And that way we can both, as I change, as she changes, then we change. And we, and mm. as we get married and as we work through our marriage relationship. Yeah, that's so good. I think it's perfect just to say it's, you're looking for somebody to grow with. Um, and I know in the last episode you guys discussed and was mentioned the intimacy ladder. So highly recommend that because what that does is it helps you ask the right questions about the other person and yourself. Um, so finding somebody that your core values line up, things like that, that you're like, Oh, that's important. That matters. Um, I think we joked when we weren't recording about, lists what Cole even mentioned there's preferences and there's standards and I think a lot of times we get really mixed up Mm. and we write people off because they're not hitting one of our preferences Mm -hmm. and that would be such a loss I always thought I was going to marry somebody with dark skin dark hair dark eyes that is the opposite of Cole's (laughs) like imagine if that was like not like oh can't even look at this guy can't even think about yeah, this guy right. because it doesn't fit that that part of my list imagine what she would have missed out on guys <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sheesh yeah so i think if you do have that list i think sometimes in the church some of us were probably encouraged to write it as like little guy like and, I, I'm, and not opposed to, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that i just think you, you those are the Hold three things that matter the most and a lot of the other other stuff needs to kind of be Hey, we will grow together in this, you know, Yeah, Hmm. that's so good, man. We appreciate you guys so much. I I know I speak for all of us and everyone listening just to say your willingness to speak with such vulnerability, but also bring everything back to the heart of the cross and what Jesus has accomplished for us and his desire in the area of sex and sexuality for us is huge. And I just want to encourage all of us. I think our action step from here is one, to really meditate on the work of the cross. I think that's been a theme throughout all of these conversations, but also I just know that these conversations have triggered more questions. And so I just highly want to encourage you to go and seek out the wisdom that's on the website of Moral Revolution. So that's moralrevolution.com, datewell.com. And there are so many incredible resources for every question that's been triggered by these conversations. Just want to say thank you once again for coming on the Thrive College podcast. Yes, we love Thrive. We love Thrive College. We love Bayside. We just love you guys. So thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us today on the Thrive College Podcast. We hope that today's episode has empowered you to navigate the challenges and the opportunities of your future and your faith. If you really enjoyed our conversation today and appreciated what we had to offer, we would love for you to write a five-star written review and share it with your friends. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.